is Tea to Green, Central Ohio's premier golf show. Now here's your host, recipient of the Lifetime Achievement Award by the Southern Ohio PGA of America and Hall of Fame, Skip Mossick. And a very pleasant, good Saturday morning, everyone. Welcome into another edition of Tea to Green here on The Fan. Weather not quite as spectacular as last weekend, but still some opportunities to get out and play, and hopefully there's some golf plans coming up in your future. Meanwhile, another busy week in the golf world. The PGA Tour is in Mexico this week. We'll check in there in just a few minutes. Big news last week for a local PGA professional who we've had on in the past is Wyatt Worthington, who teaches over at the Golf Depot, finished tied for fourth in the PGA Professional Championship a week and a half ago, and that finish gets him into next month's PGA Championship down at Southern Hills, where Tiger Woods, by the way, made an appearance this week. We'll visit with Wyatt Worthington later this hour. And as always, we have another great golf prize pack to give you a shot at this week as well. We'll have details on that shortly. But we begin by bringing in our old friend Bob Herrig, who writes for Morning Read on SI.com. Bob has a new book out just released this week. It's available just about everywhere. Tiger and Phil, Golf's Most Fascinating Rivalry. And Bob, good morning. Tell us, I guess, the whole idea behind the book, how long it took, and if there were any challenges putting it all together. Yeah, thanks, Skip. I appreciate you having me. And uh, uh, the idea sort of came together after Tiger won the Masters in 2019. So we're talking three years ago. And it evolved into uh, sort of doing a deep dive into both Tiger and Phil's careers as they related to each other. Um, and, you know, they were, they were the two predominant forces in the game for two and a half decades. And I just sort of thought it would be neat to, uh, you know, take a look at their ebbs and flows, some of their conflicts or, you know, the tension between them. And there was clearly, there was clearly some animosity, although never overt, never, you know, egregious, just, you know, they saw each other as, as a threat. Certainly Phil saw Tiger as a threat. Tiger was a threat to everybody and he was hard to beat. But Tiger also knew how good Phil was. And, uh, you know, I take it all the way back to the beginning when both those guys were incredible players as kids. You know, I mean, there's very, very few uh, athletes today where you say, oh, wow, that person can't miss. I mean, how many times do we say that and then they do miss? You know, but Tiger and Phil were both can't miss and then they exceeded it. So, uh, it's been fun. I mean, sure, there were some challenges. Uh, COVID was a huge challenge. Um, it meant that's kind of when the project got started. Uh, during, right at the beginning of COVID is when I found out that I was going to go ahead with this. And uh, it's kind of nice to see it in, in its uh, completed form. Bob, you alluded to their upbringings really couldn't be more different. Uh, I mean, Mickelson grew up a country club kid with money. Woods did not. Mickelson perceived as the great family man. We know all about Tiger's transgressions. Regardless, they're both loaded now. But I guess how much did their different upbringings lend itself to the rivalry? Yeah, I mean, they were they were completely different. I mean, that's one aspect of it. They're, both of their fathers were heavily involved, but Earl Woods was, was, uh, you know, a bigger than life character and Phil's dad, Phil senior was more in the background, you know? So there was that aspect to it. Phil's dad was a pilot, uh, you know, also had a military background, uh, but they, you know, I don't know that they were affluent, but they, they were, 
you know, they certainly had more means than Tiger's parents did. Uh, you know, he played at a, at a public Navy golf course. Uh, and, and, you know, they had, uh, they had a, they had to piece it together to get him around to play where he wanted to play and do all those things. And then, uh, you know, Phil, Phil was a famous guy probably before Tiger was, you know, Phil was four or five years older. He was winning NCAA titles in college. He won a tour event as an amateur, which Tiger never did, never even came close. Uh, obviously one's left-handed, one's right-handed, one's biracial, you know, uh, and when they started their pro careers, they lived on opposite ends of the country. I mean, they were really different people. I mean, the idea that they should have been friends was always a bit far-fetched. Um, and, you know, I think there was, there was more of an, an attitude, certainly from Tiger, I'm not going to let my rivals get close. You know, he kept everybody at arm's length. He didn't really practice with other players much, except sort of his mentors, Mark O'Meara and John Cook. You know, those were the guys that he, that, you know, they, he didn't perceive them as threats. And so they became his friends. Phil was far more outgoing, you know, engaging with fans, you know, played practice rounds for money every week. He was, he sort of reveled in that. And uh, yeah, you're right. You couldn't, you really couldn't get two more different characters. And that's sort of what rivalries are. I mean, bird and magic were the same way, you know, they played on opposite coasts and they, you know, they came from completely different backgrounds, uh, uh, and in sports, you know, I, I like to use the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry as an example of, you know, in college football, is how, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter if one's record is way better than the other. Like, I've been asked that question. Clearly, Tiger has the much better record. You know, nobody compares to Tiger. But Phil's record is pretty darn good. And you wouldn't not look at him as a rival just because your record is better, just like Ohio State had had the best of it with Michigan there for several years, a long time. I'm sure they didn't exactly, you know, think less of Michigan when it came time to playing them. Right. You know, they knew that that was their rival, and you know, finally Michigan got them. You know, and that's that's what happened in Tiger, Tiger and Phil. Phil finally got Tiger once in a while. It's just inevitable. So um, yeah, it's it's a, it's. It's complicated, frankly. It's a nuanced rivalry that, that still continues today, frankly. I mean, with, with what's been going on just this year, I'm not convinced that they're, that they're all that friendly right now. I, I, I see them as being on opposite sides of, uh, of this uh, rival league issue. We're visiting with Bob Herrig this morning. T to Green here on The Fan. Bob's new book, Tiger and Phil, Golf's Most Fascinating Rivalry, was just released this past week. And, you know, Bob, we were talking about their differences. Uh, one big similarity between both of those guys is neither are overly open about extended interviews and the like. I guess, were they willing to give you any additional insight when you put the book together? And were you able to get any additional information from some of their peers on tour? Yeah, I mean, the, the majority of the book is the reporting from talking to others about them you know the people they played with their caddies their coaches their you know their early coaches um you know tournament directors other players other caddies um i have a lot of material from both players from my reporting over the years but as far as the book specifically when it came to tiger i was at the point where i would have wanted to talk to him in early 2021 you know, I had about six months left to, to get the book done, and I had done a good bit of legwork to that point. And I was going to try to tell him at some point personally 
And that was impossible. We couldn't get near these guys. You couldn't go in a locker room during COVID. I wasn't going to just talk to them in the parking lot about it. Normally, I could have maybe talked to them during a pro-am. That was not allowed. So I made it, I, you know, I, I let one of his representatives know that I wanted to tell him about it. And it, it turned out I never did get to tell him about it personally. He was given word about it. Um, I didn't get the sense he was thrilled, but I didn't get the sense he was upset either. And then my goal was, you know, I'd talk to him at a tournament here or there. Well, obviously that went out the window. He was, Tiger didn't play all year in, uh, in, in 2021. So uh, I didn't really expect help from him. And, and obviously the situation meant that that was going to be impossible. Phil was a little different. I approached him at the Players Championship last year, and he never said no, but he never made it happen. We had like three different times where we, you know, we tried to get together or I reached out and, and it got postponed or he put me off or, hey, email me and then I didn't hear back. Um, and, you know, frankly, I thought it would have been great for Phil to talk about some of these things. It would have, it would have really helped. Uh, but after he won the PJ Championship, it was going to be even harder to get him. And, you know, I asked Phil many questions over the years. I had many interactions with him. Uh, obviously, I, ta- I talked to his family. I talked to, uh, you know, his very first coach. I talked to Rick Smith. I talked to Butch Harmon. He coached them both. You know, so uh, unfortunately, I never did get a sit down with these guys, but that's not unusual for something like this, and especially for, you know, for, for guys who are, who are as famous as they are. How about some of the other guys on tour, Bob? Were any of them willing to open up a little bit more? Because we always got the sense that many of the guys out there were either Tiger guys or Phil guys, but rarely was anybody both. Yeah, you know, I was able to get help from a lot of people. Um, you know, I talked to Omira and Cook. I talked to, you know, uh, people that Phil came in contact throughout, like a guy like Chris Riley, who grew up in Southern California. Um you know, I I, uh, uh, I got a lot of help from Steve Williams, uh, Tiger's first caddy. Joe LaCava, you know, I've talked to many times. Um, uh, I talked to current day players like, you know, or, you know, he's not as much current, but Tom Lehman. Past Ryder Cup captains like Harrington and Montgomery on the other side. Davis Love, Steve Stricker, you know, um, guys, guys that were in and around the game. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's probably over 100 people, maybe 125 people I spoke to uh, uh, that were not Tiger or Phil. And obviously that's an important aspect to this. Uh, you've got to you have you have to have the insight of the people who were, you know, had had the bird's eye view. Tiger and Phil, golf's most fascinating rivalry. Bob Harrigue, hang tight. We'll have more with you coming up, including a famous story regarding one of their rare practice rounds together. OK, thank you. All right, PGA Tour is in Mexico this week. Let's get you warmed up there with some chip shots. 97.1 The Fans, tee to green. Chip shots. The Norman Signature Course at Nuevo Vallarta, the site of this week's Mexico Open, scoring really good the first two days. Your leader at the midway point is John Rahm at 12 under par. We'll hear from Rahm later this hour. Alex Smalley, two back at minus 10, and then a five-way log jam at minus 9, including Patrick Reed, who says he's a big fan of this golf course. It looks like carpet, and you go onto the golf course, and it's identical. I mean, there's... It's an absolutely amazing shape, perfect shape. Uh, it's a long golf course. It has some length, but I mean, even even with the length, if there's not much wind, guys will be able to go out and attack this place. But uh, 
you know, the golf course is good. I mean, you have to work the ball both ways, and you have to get really disciplined, I feel like, at this place. There's some pretty wide fairways out there, and, and you still have to set up and hit a quality golf shot because even though they're wide, you have to play from certain angles into these greens. Also at minus nine is Adam Long, 67-66 the first two days for Long, who says he's been keeping it steady. Yeah, I mean, I certainly haven't been hitting anything perfect, but um, good enough to, to score, giving myself enough chances to, to make birdies. And the, the, the misses are, you know, very okay. Um, nothing detrimental, nothing, uh, you know, way out of play or anything. So you know, the misses are just a little off, and the good ones are good. So uh, it's been giving me enough chances. Also part of that large group at minus nine is Andrew Novak, 66-67 for Novak, who says Friday was all about recovery. Basically, I hit the ball a little bit more crooked today. Um, did not hit many fairways. Like I, I truly think the number was three. Uh, I was never like not really in bad spots. 18 was not a good spot, but for the most part, it was close enough where it didn't really penalize me. But uh, did a good job hitting some good approach shots, keeping it in the right spot. So when I did miss, I was pretty easy up and downs and made a bunch of putts, especially on the back nine, really got it going. 18, um, I don't know if y'all saw that live, but that was that was a bit more t-ball than golf. Honestly, from there, I still should have made par. Like it, it was you know a bit of a mess up by the green, but it is what it is. Uh, nine through two good, two days is, is pretty good golf. Four back at minus eight sits Jonathan Bird. Good story here in Bird, who's playing with limited status and is trying to make the most of his opportunities. If you're playing the past champion category, you might go five weeks without playing a tournament, and it's just hard to keep momentum. Fortunately, I've got I've, I played my way into Bay Hill, I played my way into Phoenix, and I, I've been able to carve out a pretty good schedule so far this year. And I'm on the verge of getting in the next two weeks, which would be four in a row. So I'm just kind of tickled to just have more tournaments to play in. I, I started the year thinking I might get in 15. It looks like I'm going to get in more like 20. So um, I'm just happy to happy to have starts, and my game's good. So trying to stay aggressive and see what I can make of it. Again, your leader at the midway point down in Mexico is John Rahm at 12 under par. Elsewhere this week, World Tour is in Spain. Oliver Becker, minus 11. He leads there by two. Champions down in Texas, Stephen Alker, Ernie Els, and Steve Stricker, minus five. They lead there by one. Corn Ferry Tour in Huntsville, Alabama. Eric Barnes, minus 11. He leads by one. LPGA in Palos Verdes. Hannah Green, minus nine. She leads by three. College Golf Men's Big Ten Championships this week over in French Lick. Ohio State, 10th after the opening round. Michigan State, crazy good yesterday. Minus 12 as a team. Michigan State leads by eight. All right, coming up more with Bob Herrig on his new book, Tiger and Phil. Golf's most fascinating rivalry is tee to green continues here on the fan this is t to green central ohio's premier golf show now here's your host recipient of the lifetime achievement award by the southern ohio pga of america and hall of fame skip mossick and a very pleasant good saturday morning everyone welcome into another edition of t to green here on the fan weather not quite as spectacular as last weekend but still some opportunities 
to get out and play, and hopefully there's some golf plans coming up in your future. Meanwhile, another busy week in the golf world. The PGA Tour is in Mexico this week. We'll check in there in just a few minutes. Big news last week for a local PGA professional who we've had on in the past is Wyatt Worthington, who teaches over at the Golf Depot, finished tied for fourth in the PGA Professional Championship a week and a half ago, and that finish gets him into next month's PGA Championship down at Southern Hills, where Tiger Woods, by the way, made an appearance this week. We'll visit with Wyatt Worthington later this hour. And as always, we have another great golf prize pack to give you a shot at this week as well. We'll have details on that shortly. But we begin by bringing in our old friend Bob Herrig, who writes for Morning Read on SI.com. Bob has a new book out just released this week. It's available just about everywhere. Tiger and Phil, golf's most fascinating rivalry. And Bob, good morning. Tell us, I guess, the whole idea behind the book, how long it took, and if there were any challenges putting it all together. Yeah, thanks, Skip. I appreciate you having me. And uh, uh, the idea sort of came together after Tiger won the Masters in 2019. So we're talking three years ago. And it evolved into uh, sort of doing a deep dive into both Tiger and Phil's careers as they related to each other. Um, and, you know, they were, they were the two predominant forces in the game for two and a half decades. And I just sort of thought it would be neat to, uh, you know, take a look at their ebbs and flows, some of their conflicts or, you know, the tension between them. And there was clearly, there was clearly some animosity, although never overt, never, you know, egregious, just, you know, they saw each other as, as a threat. Certainly Phil saw Tiger as a threat. Tiger was a threat to everybody and he was hard to beat. But Tiger also knew how good Phil was. And, uh, you know, I take it all the way back to the beginning when both those guys were incredible players as kids. You know, I mean, there's very, very few uh, athletes today where you say, oh, wow, that person can't miss. I mean, how many times do we say that and then they do miss? You know, but Tiger and Phil were both can't miss and then they exceeded it. So, uh, it's been fun. I mean, sure, there were some challenges. Uh, COVID was a huge challenge. Um, it meant that's kind of when the project got started. Uh, right at the beginning of COVID is when I found out that I was going to go ahead with this. And uh, it's kind of nice to see it in, in its uh, completed form. Bob, you alluded to their upbringings really couldn't be more different. Uh, I mean, Mickelson grew up a country club kid with money. Woods did not. Mickelson perceived as the great family man. We know all about Tiger's transgressions. Regardless, they're both loaded now. But I guess how much did their different upbringings lend itself to the rivalry? Yeah, I mean, they were they were completely different. I mean, that's one aspect of it. That Both of their fathers were heavily involved, but Earl Woods was, was, uh, you know, a bigger than life character and Phil's dad, Phil senior was more in the background, you know? So there was that aspect to it. Phil's dad was a pilot, uh, you know, also had a military background, uh, but they, you know, I don't know that they were affluent, but they, they were, you know, they certainly had more means than Tiger's parents did. Uh, you know, he played at a, at a public Navy golf course. Uh, and, and, you know, they had, uh, they had, a, they had to piece it together to get him around to play where he wanted to play and do all those things. And then, uh, you know, Phil, Phil was a famous guy probably before Tiger was. You know, Phil was four or five years older. He was, 
winning NCAA titles in college. He won a tour event as an amateur, which Tiger never did, never even came close. Uh, obviously, one's left-handed, one's right-handed, one's biracial. You know, uh, and when they started their pro careers, they lived on opposite ends of the country. I mean, they were really different people. I mean, the idea that they should have been friends was always a bit far-fetched. Um, and, you know, I think there was, there was more of an, an attitude, certainly from Tiger, I'm not going to let my rivals get close. You know, he kept everybody at arm's length. He didn't really practice with other players much, except sort of his mentors, Mark O'Meara and John Cook. You know, those were the guys that he, that, you know, they, he didn't perceive them as threats. And so they became his friends. Phil was far more outgoing, you know, engaging with fans, you know, played practice rounds for money every week. He was, he sort of reveled in that. And uh, yeah, you're right. You couldn't, you really couldn't get two more different characters. And that's sort of what rivalries are. I mean, bird and magic were the same way, you know, they played on opposite coasts and they, you know, they came from completely different backgrounds, uh, uh, and in sports, you know, I I like to use the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry as an example of, you know, in college football, is how, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter if one's record is way better than the other. Like, I've been asked that question. Clearly, Tiger has the much better record. You know, nobody compares to Tiger. But Phil's record is pretty darn good, and you wouldn't not look at him as a rival just because your record is better, just like – Ohio State had had the best of it with Michigan there for several years, a long time. I'm sure they didn't exactly, you know, think less of Michigan when it came time to playing them. Right. You know, they knew that that was their rival, and you know, finally Michigan got them. You know, and that's that's what happened in Tiger, Tiger and Phil. Phil finally got Tiger once in a while. It's just inevitable. So um, yeah, it's it's a, it's. It's complicated, frankly. It's a nuanced rivalry that, that still continues today, frankly. I mean, with, with what's been going on just this year, I'm not convinced that they're, that they're all that friendly right now. I, I, I see them as being on opposite sides of, uh, of this uh, rival league issue. We're visiting with Bob Herrig this morning, T to Green here on the fan. Bob's new book, Tiger and Phil, Golf's Most Fascinating Rivalry, was just released this past week. And, you know, Bob, we were talking about their differences. Uh, one big similarity between both of those guys is neither are overly open about extended interviews and the like. I guess, were they willing to give you any additional insight when you put the book together? And were you able to get any additional information from some of their peers on tour? Yeah, I mean, the, the majority of the book is the reporting from talking to others about them you know the people they played with their caddies their coaches their you know their early coaches um you know tournament directors other players other caddies um i have a lot of material from both players from my reporting over the years but as far as the book specifically when it came to tiger i was at the point where i would have wanted to talk to him in early 2021 you know, I had about six months left to, to get the book done, and I had done a good bit of legwork to that point. And I was going to try to tell him at some point personally, and that was impossible. We couldn't get near these guys. You couldn't go in a locker room during COVID. I wasn't going to just talk to him in the parking lot about it. Normally, I could have maybe talked to him during a pro-am. That was not allowed. So I made it, I, you know, I, I let one of his representatives know that I wanted to tell him about it. And it, it turned out I never did get to tell him about it personally. He was given word about it 
Um, I didn't get the sense he was thrilled, but I didn't get the sense he was upset either. And then my goal was, you know, I'd talk to him in a tournament here or there. Well, obviously that went out the window. He was Tiger didn't play all year in, uh, in, in 2021. So uh, I didn't really expect help from him. And, and obviously the situation meant that that was going to be impossible. Phil was a little different. I approached him at the Players' Championship last year, and he never said no, but he never made it happen. We had like three different times where we, you know, we tried to get together or I reached out and, and it got postponed or he put me off or, hey, email me, and then I didn't hear back. Um, and, you know, frankly, I thought it would have been great for Phil to talk about some of these things. It would have, it would have really helped. Uh, but after he won the PJ Championship, it was going to be even harder to get him. And, you know, I asked Phil many questions over the years. I had many interactions with him. Uh, obviously, I, ta- I talked to his family. I talked to, uh, you know, his very first coach. I talked to Rick Smith. I talked to Butch Harmon, who coached them both. You know, so uh, unfortunately, I never did get a sit down with these guys, but that's not unusual for something like this, and especially for – you know, for, for guys who are who are as famous as they are. How about some of the other guys on tour, Bob? Were any of them willing to open up a little bit more? Because we always got the sense that many of the guys out there were either Tiger guys or Phil guys, but rarely was anybody both. Yeah, you know, I was able to get help from a lot of people. Um, you know, I talked to O'Meara and Cook. I talked to... Uh... You are listening to Tita Greens on the Range. On the Range is presented by PXG. Nobody makes golf clubs the way they do, period. As we hit the range over at the Golf Depot, we welcome in PGA professional Wyatt Worthington II. Wyatt finished tied for fourth in the PGA Professional Championship a week and a half ago down in Texas. Good enough to qualify for the upcoming PGA Championships in a few weeks down at Southern Hills. This is the second time he's been able to do this. So, uh, Wyatt, good morning. First of all, congratulations. Take us through the PGA professional championship i know to advance you always need some breaks in addition to playing well was it as smooth for you as it appeared uh absolutely not (laughs) i'll be lying to you if i said otherwise uh i will say i got off to a rocky start uh on day one and i turned it on on the back nine and i wish my back nine was as smooth sailing as the uh as the rest of the event but that was not the case uh the third day uh, was pretty much what made the tournament. Um, I probably hit the ball the worst, but I fought and, you know, struggled, and I just hung in there. Um, I haven't had one of those rounds in a while. I think when I did the stats, I got up and down probably eight or nine times. So it was uh, <laughs> it was it was quite the fight. So um, for, for me to, you know, stay in the red when I was struggling uh, uh, throughout that time, even though it may not have looked like it, I was uh, going through it, if you will. So, yeah. Great, great, uh, great turnout. Obviously, it would have been uh, more icing on the cake if I won, but uh, we got the job done. So, uh, ready to, you know, go back to playing another major. Well, I can't believe it's been six years. Uh, take us back six years ago. What was your favorite memory from the last time you played in the PGA Championship, and and what do you hope to maybe embrace a little bit more this time around? Uh, my favorite memory. That's a great question. Uh, believe it or not, it's actually all the love and support that I got. Um, from not only fans but uh, peers as well too. From from when it comes to you know the tour, uh, you know great people from Sean Foley, Sean myself, and Jerry Hammond, a lot of love. Uh, but actually, it was the fans, believe it or not. Um, and 
the consensus, what I got from the fans is that, you know, we need more diversity uh, and inclusion in, into the game. And, and it's no secret that, uh, well, first, golf is crazy expensive, and uh, there's not that there's not that much represent representation on tour, um, and uh, the PGA of America. So uh, I know they're doing uh, doing a lot better than it has been. But the best memory is to have uh, you know the French show support and and having more representation because at the end of the day, uh, we're all you know guilty of uh, being a product of our environment, right? So. Uh, with that being said, is you know when you're a kid, you're looking on TV, you want to inspire, you know whether it be you know basketball player, football player, uh, you know golf or whatever the case may be, and um, for you know all the little kids and uh, that would just that look like me walked up to me and asked for my autograph. That's that's really what it's all about, and it's changed. And I know uh, not to get too rambling on um, the APGA. Uh, has done a fantastic job of that when it comes to trying to uh, get more representation on the tour there. You know, Wyatt, I know you've played on this stage before, but what are the feelings when you look up and down the range and see who you're competing against? Oh, uh, it's, man, I can't believe I'm here. Uh, and this is in no particular order. I can't believe I'm here. Okay, let's lock in and focus on the job that we do. Whoa, that is Tiger Woods right there. That's Roy. Okay, stay focused. Stay focused. <laughs> uh, stay in your way. So, uh, no, in all seriousness, it's it's a uh, it's every golfer's dream uh, to play at the you know highest level to some shape or form fashion, and you know to be inside the ropes. Uh, and for me to have that experience again, it's. I definitely not take it for granted. Um, I want to soak it in every moment, you know, with friends and family and, and, you know, great supporters such as yourself. So definitely going to look forward to it. Wyatt, love asking these questions as a local Central Ohio kid. Where did you play the most growing up, and and when did you realize, hey, I'm pretty good? Uh, I never – well, first, I never think I'm really good. I'm always striving to be better, so that – I'm. It, I don't know if that's a gift or a curse. Uh, just <laughs> constantly trying to improve and whatnot. Uh, but I actually grew up uh, at driving ranges, um, the dome, um, and obviously it's not there anymore. Uh, and I would say uh, Bridgeview, which is unfortunately not there um, as well. So uh, that would probably uh, where you'd see me spend the most time. Um, I was there, but I've also. I think it's enough time has passed now that I can kind of say this without getting in trouble. I've kind of snuck on golf courses. Uh, <laughs> uh, <such laughs> I don't want to disclose the names, uh, but no, uh, you know, Turnberry golf course would be another one. Blackwick. Uh, those would be the ones that I, uh, I kind of snuck on from uh, time to time. So, yeah. <laughs> You're not the only one. Trust me. <laughs> okay, gotcha, gotcha. Why? Why? Over the game. Yeah, I, absolutely. Game. You know, Wyatt, you brought up diversity and inclusion. You were part of a select group of pros who got to attend the Masters a year ago when Lee Elder was an honorary starter. Thank goodness they were able to do that before he passed. But what was that whole experience like for you? Yeah. Uh, I had so many mixed emotions, um, not to get too deep on you, but it was a surreal moment. Um, you know, meeting Lee Elder, he was, you know, the first African-American to play in the Masters. So living literally at the time, he was a living legend. I shook his hand and just to hear him speak and have stories, uh, you know, for, you know, for days of what he went through and, you know, what other uh, African-Americans had to go through in this sport. It was unbelievable. And just to step foot on property at the Masters, it people say this time and time again, but you don't 
understand or fathom, or you just have to see it to see it when you're there. And what I mean by that is the uh, hills, the whole the whole pr- uh, piece of property. It's unbelievable. TV doesn't do it justice, and TV does an amazing job of it. Right, uh, a fantastic job of showing Augusta, and it gets even better in person. Uh, the second, or I guess this, the second and third thing that I also noticed was knowing that uh, minorities, if you will, uh, more specifically African Americans, that man, we have a, we have a long way to go. Um, and just to kind of give you a, a little bit of history uh, that I recently found out by Bob Denny, he's a PGA of America uh, historian. I thought I was. Uh, at the time, like one of like 10 uh, minorities that ever are African-American to ever play in a major championship. And he did his due diligence wow. digging and found out that it's uh, I'm one of 26 to ever put a tee in the ground and play in a major in the history of golf. Only 26 African-Americans. So uh, I got that sense that, you know, like I said, I'm very fortunate and blessed to be on that list. But also, you know, we have a long way to go. And that's what I was kind of feeling at the Masters. So um, unbelievable experience. Great time meeting Lee Elder. Once in a lifetime to be part of that history. PGA professional Wyatt Worthington II. You can go check him out over at the Golf Depot. Wyatt, again, congratulations on making the PGA Championship. You know we'll be pulling hard for you here in a couple of weeks down at Southern Hills, okay? Thank you so much, Skip. I'll, I'll probably uh, need your game to uh, get through this. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Thank you so much. He definitely doesn't need my game. Well, someone else who definitely has game is John Rahm, who leads by two, heading to, into the weekend at this week's PGA event at the Mexico open we'll hear from rom next as t to green continues here on the fan you are listening to t to greens on the range on the range is presented by pxg nobody makes golf clubs the way they do period as we hit the range over at the golf depot we welcome in pga professional wyatt worthington the second wyatt finished tied for fourth in the pga professional championship a week and a half ago down in texas good enough to qualify for the upcoming pga championships in a few weeks down at southern hills this is the second time he's been able to do this so uh, wyatt good morning first of all congratulations take us through the pga professional championship i know to advance you always need some breaks in addition to playing well was it as smooth for you as it appeared uh absolutely not <laughs> i'll be lying to you if i said otherwise uh i will say i got off to a rocky start uh on day one and i turned it on on the back nine and i uh, wish my back nine was as smooth sailing as the uh as the rest of the event but that was not the case uh the third day uh, was pretty much what made the tournament. Um, I probably hit the ball the worst, but I fought and, you know, struggled, and I just hung in there. Um, I haven't had one of those rounds in a while. I think when I did the stats, I got up and down probably eight or nine times. So it was uh, <laughs> it was it was quite the fight. So um, for me to, you know, stay in the red when I was struggling uh, uh, throughout that time, even though it may not have looked like it, I was uh, going through it, if you will. So, yeah. Great, great, uh, great turnout. Obviously, it would have been uh, more icing on the cake if I won, but uh, we got the job done. So, uh, ready to 
you know, go back to playing another major. Well, I can't believe it's been six years. Uh, take us back six years ago. What was your favorite memory from the last time you played in the PGA Championship? And, and what do you hope to maybe embrace a little bit more this time around? Uh, my favorite memory? That's a great question. Uh, believe it or not, it's actually all the love and support that I got um, from not only fans, but uh, peers as well, too, from, from when it comes to, you know, the tour, uh, you know, great people from Sean Foley, Sean, myself, and Jerry Hammond, a lot of love. Uh, but actually, it was the fans, believe it or not. Um, and the consensus, what I got from the fans is that, you know, we need more diversity uh, and inclusion in, into the game. And, and it's no secret that, uh, well, first, golf is crazy expensive. And uh, there's, not that, there's not that much represent, representation on tour. Um, and uh, the PGA of America. So uh, I know they're doing uh, doing a lot better than it has been, but the best memory is to have, uh, you know, the friends show support and, and having more representation because at the end of the day, uh, we're all, you know, guilty of a, being a product of our environment, right? So uh, with that being said is, you know, when you're a kid, you're looking on TV, you want to inspire, you know, whether it be, you know, basketball player, football player, uh, you know, golf or whatever the case may be. And um, for, you know, all the little kids and uh, that would just that looked like me, walked up to me and asked for my autograph, that's, that's really what it's all about. And it's changed. And I know uh, not to get too rambling on, um, the APGA uh, has done a fantastic job of that when it comes to trying to uh, get more representation on the tour there. You know, Wyatt, I know you've played on this stage before, but what are the feelings when you look up and down the range and see who you're competing against? Oh, uh, it's, man, I can't believe I'm here. Uh, and this is in no particular order. I can't believe I'm here. Okay, let's lock in and focus on the job that we do. Whoa, that is Tiger Woods right there. That's Roy. Okay, stay focused. Stay focused. <laughs> uh, stay in your way. So, uh, no, in all seriousness, it's it's a uh, it's every golfer's dream uh, to play at the you know highest level to some shape or form, fashion, and you know to be inside the ropes. Uh, and for me to have that experience again, it's. I definitely not take it for granted. Um, I'm going to soak it in every moment, you know, with friends and family and, and you know, great supporters such as yourself, Skip. So definitely going to look forward to it. Wyatt, love asking these questions as a local Central Ohio kid. Where did you play the most growing up, and, and when did you realize, hey, I'm pretty good? Uh, I never – well, first, I never think I'm really good. I'm always striving to be better, so that – I'm. It, I don't know if that's a gift or a curse. Uh, just <laughs> constantly trying to improve and whatnot. Uh, but I actually grew up uh, at driving ranges, um, the dome, um, and obviously it's not there anymore. Uh, and I would say uh, Bridgeview, which is unfortunately not there um, as well. So uh, that would probably. Uh, where you'd see me spend the most time. Um, I was there, but I've also. I think it's enough time has passed now that I can kind of say this without getting in trouble. I've kind of snuck on golf courses. Uh, <laughs> uh, <such laughs> I don't want to disclose the names, uh, but no, uh, you know, Turnberry golf course would be another one. Blackwick. Uh, those would be the ones that 
uh, I kind of snuck on from uh, time to time. So, yeah. You're not the only <laughs> one, trust me. <laughs> okay, gotcha, gotcha. Why? Why? Love of the game. Yeah, I, absolutely. Game. You know, Wyatt, you brought up diversity and inclusion. You were part of a select group of pros who got to attend the Masters a year ago when Lee Elder was an honorary starter. Thank goodness they were able to do that before he passed. But what was that whole experience like for you? Yeah. Uh, I had so many mixed emotions, um, not to get too deep on you, but it was a surreal moment. Um, you know, meeting Lee Elder, he was, you know, the first African-American to play in the Masters. So living literally at the time, he was a living legend. I shook his hand and just to hear him speak and have stories, uh, you know, for, you know, for days of what he went through and, you know, what other uh, African-Americans had to go through in this sport. It was unbelievable. And just to step foot on property at the Masters, it people say this time and time again, but you don't understand or fathom, or you just have to see it to see it when you're there. And what I mean by that is the uh, hills, the whole, the whole pr- uh, piece of property, it's unbelievable. TV doesn't do justice, and TV does an amazing job of it. Right, uh, a fantastic job of showing Augusta, and it gets even better in person. Uh, the second, or I guess this, the second and third thing that I also noticed was knowing that uh, minorities, if you will, uh, more specifically African Americans, that man, we have a, we have a long way to go. Um, and just to kind of give you a little bit of history uh, that I recently found out by Bob Denny, he's a PGA of America uh, historian. I thought I was. Uh, at the time, like one of like 10 uh, minorities that ever are African-American to ever play in a major championship. And he did his due diligence wow. digging and found out that it's uh, I'm one of 26 to ever put a tee in the ground and play in a major in the history of golf. Only 26 African-Americans. So uh, I got that sense that, you know, like I said, I'm very fortunate and blessed to be on that list, but also, you know, we have a long way to go. And that's what I was kind of feeling at the master. So um, unbelievable experience, great time meeting Lee Elder, once in a lifetime to be part of that history. PGA professional Wyatt Worthington the second. You can go check him out over at the Golf Depot. Wyatt, again, congratulations on making the PGA championship. You know we'll be pulling hard for you here in a couple of weeks down at Southern Hills, okay? Thank you so much, Skip. I'll, I'll probably uh, need your game to uh, get through. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Thank you so much. He definitely doesn't need my game. Well, someone else who definitely has game is John Rahm, who leads by two, heading to, into the weekend at this week's PGA event at the Mexico open we'll hear from rom next as t to green continues here on the fan this is t to green with skip mossick on the fan ohio sports destination Welcome back, everyone. The Mexico Open is underway this week. It's the first time for this event being under the PGA Tour umbrella. And your leader at the midway point is John Rahm, who played really well the first couple of days. 64-66 for Rahm, who sits at minus 12. He leads by two. Rahm with the press following Friday's round. John, how would you compare this round? Eight birdies today, playing in the afternoon, compared to yesterday's round. Well, the wind makes it a completely different golf course. Um, yesterday, we, you know, except the last four holes or so, we, we enjoyed a, a wind-free day. And, you know, you can be a little bit more aggressive with, with certain shots. Uh, even with a couple longer irons, you just be comfortable hitting it at the pin because, you know, this green is receptive. Um, 
on the other hand, today, a couple of the par fives were shorter. Yes, but man, some holes were playing long. Ten was long, eight was long, nine and 13 were playing very, very difficult. You need to hit some quality shots in those holes, especially at the end. I mean, 16 and 17, you need to hit great shots to give yourself chances. Uh, and even 18, I mean, it is a par five, but it's not the easiest for me to hit uh, with that crosswind. So. I feel like I might be a little bit more satisfied with today's score than yesterday. Yesterday felt like I was really under control and rel relatively speaking, stress-free, right? Today was, uh, you know, a bit more of a grind, um, but still, you know, really, really good run of golf. What, what stood out in your game today, um, you know, and was there a particular hole or shot that stood out? Oh, if I had to say one shot, it was the shot on the nine. I mean, the six iron was... Perfect, and having three feet for birdie there, <laughs> you know, it's 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 a huge bonus. I think my iron game was was really really good today. Um, was really under control, and you know, in those windy conditions, I was hitting hitting really really solid. So I was never really too surprised about where my ball was ending up, and I was always in a good position. Um, that's probably why I had so many liberty loops out there today. The goal here is to get in contention early in the tournament. You've done that. You're on the lead. What do you look for in the weekend? More of the same. Uh, keep hitting a good tee to green uh, and keep making putts. You know, um, I've been playing really good. I can't really complain about anything I'm doing right now. So uh, hopefully, I can keep that that good ball striking going and uh, keep rolling it the way I have. Again, John Rom, your leader by two, heading to the, to the weekend. But a whole lot of guys within striking distance. Again, you have until eleven to get me your pick via Twitter at Skip Mossick for your chance at this week's golf prize pack. Busy day here on the Fan Common Man and T Bone Weekend. Our next NFL draft coverage continues at noon. Crew in action later tonight, hosting DC United for Hayden Heilstorm. I'm Skip Mossick. Enjoy the golf this weekend, and we'll talk to you again next Saturday morning right here on the Fan. From the double bogey blue.